That's great. She has the best t-shirts, doesn't she? Do you follow her on Instagram? That one, you couldn't see it all. It said, pray, slay, tithe, repeat. It's like, come on. I like it. I like it. And for those of you who are wondering how ministries at churches get named, you just witnessed it tonight. Our usher ministry used to be called the Saturday Life Team. Now, it's the churchers. Yeah, that's how we roll. The creative power of Pastor David Godwin in student ministries. And can we just say, I'm feeling a little loose tonight, that uh, what's Hannah doing with the 804 area code on her phone number? I know, we got to change that. She's a 757-er. Yeah, leave and cleave, Hannah. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. And I'm a little bit distracted by the fact that we have General Tso's chicken and orange chicken and beef sticks and rice and soy sauce coming for us for dinner. So, but I'm not going to preach any shorter because of that. Not going to do it. Somebody say veils and scales. Veils and scales. Scales is a little bit of a bad word this time of year, I know, coming out of Thanksgiving, but it's a different kind of scale. So we're not going to ask you to weigh in tonight, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, be okay. Some of you tonight who have not been prayed for for a long time or have never asked someone to pray for you before, tonight's going to be your night. Come on, tonight's going to be your night. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight for the encounter that's waiting for them. We know that there's a time for learning. There's a time for instruction. There is a time for teaching. But there is also a time for knowing that comes through your presence. And I pray that for every person here tonight who you've ordained to have an encounter with you, that they're going to step into that moment in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said Amen. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. It says, We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was, it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, that's the Old Testament, their hearts are covered. Notice the change. At first it talked about the mind being covered by a veil, and now Paul shifts. Now he's talking about the heart. So both the mind has a veil on it and the heart has a veil on it, are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Now there's a lot that we could talk about in this text. We could talk about this idea that all devoted followers of Christ have a calling and responsibility to reveal the glory of God to the world. That's another sermon for another time. We could talk in this text about this idea that there are many different ways that Scripture talks about both the mind and the heart being hardened to spiritual things. That's another sermon for another time. What I I want to focus on tonight is this idea specifically that you and I are born into this world with lots of problems, but one of them, one of the problems of the human condition is that we're born into this world with a veil over our mind and our hearts. It's not a physical veil, it's not an actual veil, it's not a literal veil. It's a metaphor that Paul uses here to speak to a problem that you and I have. 
When Paul talks about our minds, he's talking about our ability to learn. He's talking about our ability to comprehend. He's talking about our ability to know something to be true. He's talking about the human capacity for revelation. Times maybe, if for, like for me, you have to think back a long time, but when you were in school and you were having a hard time understanding something and getting something, and then finally the teacher explains it in a certain way, and you have an aha moment. You get it. You go, oh, I get it. I understand. When Paul's talking about the heart, he's talking about the human capacity for desire, to long for something, to be hungry for something in an emotional way. It means that you feel unfulfilled, and then you long for something that you believe is going to satisfy that feeling of unfulfillment. He's not talking about the organ of the heart, but the human capacity for desire. Our natural minds, or our human minds, Our natural heart or our human heart as human beings are limited when it comes to understanding and desiring spiritual things. Let me say that again. Our human mind and human hearts are limited when it comes to understanding and desiring spiritual things. That's what Paul's talking about here in his letter to the church of Corinth. Think about before you were a devoted follower of Christ and you would pick up the Bible and you would read it, maybe out of curiosity or maybe because it was part of a, uh, some type of class that you were taking. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and, and, you, and you picked it up and it, it, it just felt like you were reading a foreign language. Now you might say, well, Fred, I'm a devoted follower of Christ and, and there's times where it, it feels like that it's a foreign language now and we're going to get to that because this idea of veils and scales being lifted and falling away, it's not just a one-time thing, it's a lifetime journey. But for every person who's yet to make a vow of devotion to Christ, there are parts of Scripture that seem impossible to understand. It's because they've got a veil and a scale problem. Think about things that you love to do now as a devoted follower of Christ that would have been laughable for you to do before. And I think about the encounter night that we just had here on Wednesday. If you're not coming to those, you're missing out. It it was incredible. Two straight, solid hours of just being in God's presence through worship. The water baptism. Susan's here tonight. Did I see Susan? Where's Susan? Raise your hand in the back. Come on. First communion after baptism tonight. Come on, make some noise. Is Avery here? I don't know if Avery. Avery's there too. Come on, back there. Give it up some more. I love that. First communions after water baptisms, they're special, significant. What an incredible. Can I, for some, for some of you, for some of you, five years ago, if someone had said to you, hey, I want you to come to my church, we're going to sing Christian songs for two hours. <laughs> yeah, laughing a little bit too loud there, honey. Right, for some of you, you would have been, is there an open bar or not? I just need to know. Is there an open bar? And I would say yes, living water, and you need some of it. <laughs> Think about all the things. Think about people who give up their own vacation time and some of their own expense to be a volunteer youth leader at summer camp at City Life Church. Come on. Unbelievable. But for some of you who have done that, or some time ago, if someone had invited you to do that, you would have thought, why would I give up my time to do something to serve others in such a way? There's a shift that happens in our hearts. Things that maybe would be laughable to us then, we can't imagine living without them today. 
giving of your finances for missions, giving of your finances for this Christmas offering, right? Think it could be that that some time ago you would have said, why would I, why would I give that money to others when I can spend it for myself? Desires, they shift. Look at verse 16. It says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the imagery here is powerful because not just of what can happen at a wedding, but also because of the Middle Eastern culture and practice of women wearing veils. People in Paul's day would have been familiar to this this idea. It was both present in weddings and it was both present in everyday culture. But I think here he's talking specifically about a wedding because he uses this imagery of turning to Christ because that's the moment, right, where a bride turns to the groom and a veil is lifted. He's drawing on this human experience to help them understand their spiritual condition. But the reason why that a woman is given a veil in a wedding or through the practice of culture is not to make it hard for her to see. Who does that? Let's put a veil on the bride so it makes it hard for her to walk down the aisle to get to where she wants to be and let's just see what happens. That's not their motivation. It's not a prank. They're not putting a veil over her face to obstruct her vision. They're putting a veil over her face to create anticipation, to make it hard for us to see her. So that there's this moment where, where the groom reaches over and lifts the veil and the glory of the bride is revealed to the room. It's about revealing the bride to the people who are present. Paul is taking this experience that everyone who's reading this letter would have witnessed, and he's saying the same thing is true for us and our humanity, but not to make it possible for people to see us, but it's so that we can see Christ. Is that you and I are born into this world with a veil over our minds and a veil over our hearts, and so we, the bride of Christ, turn to him and let him pull back the veil, we will always struggle to see and desire spiritual things. I love that Paul does not say, and until you learn or until you're instructed, it says that until we turn to Christ, we have to be able to turn to him with the veil before the veil is lifted to us. Now that's why Jesus says that no one can call him Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes some supernatural assistance for us to turn to him for the veil to be lifted to begin with. But the only way that it's lifted is through an encounter. The only way that it's lifted is through an experience. If there are things in your life that are a mystery when it comes to Christianity, if there are things in your life that frustrate you because you don't desire them the way that you should, you've got a veil problem. Scales. Somebody say scales. Acts 9, 10 through 19. 
I'm just going to read 17 to 19. I'm putting it in the notes. We always put the notes online if you want to study these things further. It's The whole story is 10 through 19. I just want to pick up 17 to 19. This is the incredible story of Paul, right, who was then Saul. He was murdering Christians. They were putting down this new movement called The Way, These the followers of The Way, people who were proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, and this new religious movement is, is taking a foothold in Israel. And, and Paul, a, a, a religious Jewish leader, is doing everything he can to put it down. And he's on his way to Damascus to begin to arrest people who are Jews who are converting to Christianity there, just like they had done in Jerusalem. Now, we know that as he was on his way to, on the road to Damascus, there was a bright light that shone before him. And we know that that's Jesus. You can read these in the text here in Acts. And, and, and that bright light caused him to be blinded. So he goes, and he's in Damascus. God speaks to this man named Ananias, who was one of God's people, and he said, I want you to go and pray for this man. Ananias is a little bit reluctant because Saul has a reputation of killing and arresting Christians, but Ananias obeys. Come on, that's what we're talking about with communion. Ananias was a person that always deferred to the authority of Christ, even when he asks us to do things that seem to be beyond ourselves. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. Listen to what it says. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized and after they had their own takeout night and he ate some food and regained his strength. It's a great text for tonight. Well done, Fred. It doesn't say that Ananias took him on a read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plan for him to regain his sight, although reading through the Bible in the year is important. It doesn't say that Ananias invited Paul back home to be a part of a small group where they were studying the prophet of Isaiah and how it proclaimed the coming of Christ, although that would be a great group to attend. It says that he ministered to him in the moment and the result of the ministry in the moment were the scales falling away. This, this imagery, this metaphor of a scale that Luke is using here in Acts 9, it's the same thing that, that, that Paul himself later would one day talk about when he's writing to the letter to the church of Corinth. That you and I have veils and scales that cover our minds and our hearts. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 18 to 25. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, right? The human mind. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Veils and scales. 
But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. This experience, let me share this thought with you, of veils being lifted and scales falling away is not a one-time occurrence, as we referenced before. There is a first time, and then there is our lifetime. There is the first time, and then there is our lifetime of more layers to follow. Where do we get that? We get that in 1 Corinthians 3. Let me read verse 14. I'm finding it. I don't think it's 1 Corinthians 3.14. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.14. And if it's not there, then I'm going to tell you what it should be. All right, 2 Corinthians 3. No. All right, my notes are wrong. Let me tell you what it is. Somewhere in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, <laughs> Paul talks about when he was there, even to people who were devoted followers of Christ, he was not able to instruct them in deeper truths because they weren't yet ready to understand them. It's important. It's important, this part of Paul's relationship with the church of Corinth. Because it is a reminder to them that even once veils are lifted for the first time and scales fall away for the first time, it doesn't mean that you step into a life where every revelation that you need will come and every desire that you seek will happen. It means that it's a journey. It means that you have to submit yourself to a process that we call discipleship. So the layers of veils can continue to be peeled back, and then the idea of scales falling away can continue to occur so that there can be increased understanding and there can be increased desire. If you've been walking with Christ for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know what I'm talking about. There's still revelation and that there's new desires that come. But there should always, for all of us, be the moment where it occurs for the first time. And sometimes it occurring for the first time happens when you make a vow of devotion to Christ. But for some of us, even after making a vow of devotion to Christ, we don't have the experience of the veil being lifted and the scales fall away for some time after. And one of the reasons why is because we don't even realize we have a problem. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and the prayer teams to be to get ready for their place. And I know some of you tonight, you came ready to ask for prayer because you already understand the importance of prayer because that veil's been lifted for you. You, 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 you already desire moments like this in church settings where you can come and stand and ask people to pray for you because those scales have already fallen away for you. But as I was praying for this 
message tonight and asking the Holy Spirit how he wanted to motivate us to step into these moments of prayer. This is, this is what I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, is that there were going to be people here tonight who had veils and scales when it comes to prayer itself. Veils and scales when it comes to prayer itself. That there would be people here tonight who have doubts and questions and confusions and disbelief when it comes to prayer. And what I would say to you, it's okay. There are some of you that are here tonight, and even right now as we talk, there is nothing inside of you that desires prayer. That, that inside of you right now, there is no appetite for it. In fact, maybe for some of you that call City Life Church your home, you would prefer that we not even do these weeks because you don't find them to be meaningful to you. And what I would say is, that's okay. Because it's not because there's something wrong with you, it's because you've got veils and scales. I would say to you, welcome to the human condition. So tonight, I'm not teaching and talking about prayer. I'm teaching and talking about the condition that separates you from the experience of prayer that Jesus wants you to know. Because the thing that we see with veils and scales, that it's not instruction that causes them to be lifted and causes them to fall away. It is an encounter and an experience that turns the tide. I love this story, how Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. It's not as though after it happened, there was a post-production meeting in heaven where God scolded the angels, angels because they turned the lights up too high and it, it had a blinding effect on Paul. It's not as though God was trying to punish him for all the things that he had done. There's all kinds of accounts and stories in Scripture where people either see Christ in a heavenly form or they have encounters with angels or they're in the presence of the glory of God and they're not blinded. I think the reason why God wanted Paul to be blinded on the road to Damascus is that he wanted Paul's physical experience to be a, a reflection of his spiritual condition. I think he made him blind because he wanted him to see that he had spiritual blindness and he wanted him to connect to it through his physical, natural world. For some of you tonight, you've got veils and scales when it comes to prayer. And what I would say to you is that there are a lot of Ananiases in this room that are ready to pray for you, for the veil to be lifted and for the scales to fall. What I, what I would say to you is that there are people that are here tonight that are, are ready to minister to you so that there can be a new level of understanding for what prayer is about and how prayer is supposed to be an important part of your journey and that there is something waiting for you a called a new desire and a new longing. That maybe you, you came here and you did not have an appetite for prayer and what I would say to you, you can, you can leave here hungry for it for the rest of your life. Stand with me. Father, I pray for all the people that are here tonight that it's been a long time since they've asked someone to pray for them or maybe they've never asked someone to pray for them. I pray that tonight is going to be their night. 
that they're going to step into this moment of ministry, that they're going to step into this encounter, that they're going to step into this experience. And as they turn to you, veils are going to lift and scales are going to fall. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. You might not even know why you're supposed to come. And what I would say, you come anyways. If it's been a long time since you've asked someone to pray for you, then just come and say, you know, I'm just, it's, it's been a long time, and I just, I want to experience what it's like for someone to minister to me in prayer as we worship, you come.